Today on Ag News Daily. I'm really enjoying that work, even though in North America, it's a small portion of, of my business. Well, listeners, we are back here on this Tuesday afternoon. I'm Jennifer, and we are going to jump right into our news for the day, starting out with weather. As severe thunderstorms and flash flood warnings are in effect for much of southeastern Oklahoma and parts of western Arkansas this morning, according to the National Weather Service. Between two and four inches of precipitation fell throughout the overnight hours with another inch or two on the way. Flash flooding is ongoing and expected to begin shortly, the agency reported. Flood watches have also been issued for counties in northwestern Kansas this morning, as heavy rain is expected in the area. The watches will go into effect this evening and last through late tonight. Heavy rainfall received over northwest Kansas and southwest Nebraska in the last 24 hours, combined with the potential for localized 1 to 3 inches of rain and thunderstorms later today and tonight, could cause flash flooding, the National Weather Service reported. And taking a turn with our weather and looking at corn, the U.S. corn harvest could be the second largest on record as rain during July shepherded the crop through its critical development phase, offsetting dry conditions early in the season and hot summer temperatures, analysts and reporters said. A strong harvest could add to domestic stockpiles that are expected to balloon as demand for U.S. corn exports wilts due to a massive harvest in Brazil, which is expected to overtake the United States as the world's top corn supplier. Corn prices fell 18% from their late June peak during July, with improving conditions in the field weighing heavily on the market as the drought damage from the early season was not as bad as feared. Drought-tolerant genes and other improvements in genetically modified corn allowed the crop to weather severe drought across much of the Midwest, farmers said. Genetically modified corn accounts for more than 90% of the U.S. crop. Analysts expect the U.S. government in a monthly report due on Friday to cut its forecast for domestic corn production to 15.135 billion bushels this year, from its July estimate for a record high 15.320 billion. The new forecast, if achieved, would be the second biggest harvest ever, behind the 2016 harvest of 15.148 billion bushels. Average yields were seen at 175.5 bushels per acre this year, which would be the fourth biggest ever. The percentage of corn rated good to excellent this year by the USDA in weekly reports rose by four percentage points during July, when the bulk of the crop in major Midwest production states passes through its yield-determining pollution pollination stage. In the previous 30 years, good to excellent ratings for corn crop had risen in July only six times. But the early dryness will still cause some drag to yields, farmers and analysts said. And good to excellent ratings of 55% on July 30th were the lowest for that time of year since the major drought year of 2012. Flipping over from corn to renewable diesel, renewable diesel consumption in the U.S. hit 28 million barrels in 2021, according to the Energy Information Administration. 
However, the only states to consume the renewable fuel were California and Oregon, with California burning up 99% of the consumption rate. California's staggering diesel uptake could be due to the state's low-carbon fuel standard. In 2011, the state of California enacted the low-carbon fuel standard to encourage cleaner fuel consumption through rebates to paying customers. At the time of the legislation's passage, California consumed 1 million barrels of renewable diesel. From 2011 to 21, that volume increased from 1 million barrels to 28 million barrels. While California is capable of producing roughly 3 million gallons of renewable diesel in-state, as was produced in 2021, it has a track record of importing out-of-state and from Singapore especially to meet demand. Renewable diesel is chemically equal to petroleum diesel and similar to biodiesel but is made, transported, and used differently than biodiesel, according to the EIA. Renewable diesel can be moved via pipelines and sold without blending with petroleum diesel, unlike biodiesel. Few U.S. states, including North Dakota, Louisiana, California, Wyoming, Washington, and Kansas, all produce U.S. renewable diesel, with Louisiana leading the production race at 46% of the total. These states each have contracts with California to push fuel to the state's pumps. These U.S. consumption and capacity rates are projected to continually increase based on the EIA's estimates. Keeping up with California's demand, EIA forecasts U.S. renewable diesel capacity could more than double by 2025, adding a boost to domestic production. The administration also anticipates the same trajectory for renewable diesel consumption. Looking at cattle in Colorado... The URUS Group LP, based in Madison, Wisconsin, has announced the purchase of a majority majority interest in Leachman Cattle of Colorado, based in Fort Collins. Both organizations bring together their extensive expertise, resources, and cutting-edge market-leading technologies to drive advancements in cattle genetics across the globe. Leachman combines leading genetics and proprietary data with a unique business model that will elevate URUS into a leadership role in the North American and global beef industries. Leachman genetics currently provide industry-leading value to the growing beef and dairy terminal cross programs and will benefit dairy producers, cattle feeders, consumers, and sustainability stakeholders. Leachman has been developing its selection tools and genetic lines to improve cow efficiency, feeding performance, and supply chain value for over 30 years. With the largest private seed stock commercial database in the U.S., Leachman provides the scale and ability to respond to performance and market signals with genetic improvement at an unprecedented scale and speed. Through this collaboration, URUS will offer members and customers around the globe an expanded and unmatched portfolio of genetic solutions. As holding a company with cooperative and private ownership, URUS already connects well-established agricultural organizations, Ulta Genetics, GenX, Jetstream Genetics, Transova, AgSource, Peak, SCCL, and VAS. Leachman will continue to offer semen, bulls, females, and data services to progressive beef operations in the U.S. and internationally. With Leachman as part of the family, URUS will empower additional sales strategies, expanded programs, and development of value change for the beef and beef by dairy markets. 
For more information on this article, you can visit thebeefmagazine.com. And finally, taking a peek at our last article of the day, we're going to dive into ethanol from Brownfield. U.S. ethanol exports were down slightly from May to June. The Renewable Fuels Association says June ethanol exports were 111.9 million gallons, which is 1% less than May. Canada took the top slot for the 27th month in a row, accounting for 45% of the volume for the third largest monthly total on record. The European Union, United Kingdom, South Korea, and Peru rounded out in the top five, with no reported demand from Brazil or India. Exports of distillers dried grains with solubles that were 949,904 tons, a 1% month-to-month decline. But while the overall volume was down, the major markets showed solid improvements. Mexico was the destination for a fifth of the monthly DDGS total, the 12th consecutive month on top, followed by Vietnam and Indonesia. The first half of 2023, the ethanol export pace is 11% behind 2022, at 704.9 million gallons, while DDGS exports are 10% slower at 5.12 million tons. There have been no reported U.S. ethanol imports yet this year. And taking a look at our market for the day, beginning with September corn in the green, five and a quarter at 487 and a quarter. In December corn, we are in the green, four cents at 499 and three quarters. September beans are up four cents, leaving it at 1352 and a quarter. In November, they are in the green at four cents as well at 1306 even. Our September hard red winter wheat are up two and a half, leaving it at 772 even. Looking at our September spring wheat, we are up seven and three quarters at 832 even. Switching over to our livestock markets at October live cattle, they are in the red four cents at 181 and two cents. Our September feeder cattle are in the red as well at 147, bringing it to 249.4. October lean hogs wrapping up our markets for the day are in the red at 25 cents even, leaving it at 84.57. For our interview for this Tech Tuesday, we are chatting with Dan Martins of Novamont. So let's jump into that conversation I had with him. Today, we have Daniel Martins joining us. And Dan, I will let you kind of introduce yourself more because you sit on so many committees and councils that I I would never be able to name them all. So if you want to introduce yourself and share a little bit about your background within the sustainability industry, that would be amazing. Sure, sure. I'm happy. And and first of all, Jennifer, thanks so much for inviting me to speak today and and, and share share some stuff on what I think are innovative new green technology. Uh, We're trying to, of course, uh, sequester carbon from the atmosphere and put it back in the soil, but also find new uh, ways to Uh, change the way plastics impact the environment, especially in agriculture. So thank you very much. So yes, I'm Dan uh, Martins, and uh, I cover North America for Novamont North America, which is uh, located here in Connecticut, but headquartered in Italy. 
Um, Novamont was one of the premier companies or the first companies to do work in compostable bioplastics. Um, we basically grew up in the industry uh, with collecting food scraps. So our CEO, Katia Bastioli, when she was a young biochemist, she got a, a, one of her patents for destructuring starch, which then led to the first one of the first film bioplastics, which then became one of the first um, compostable bags for collecting food scraps 30, 31 years ago, and then found its home in that position um, in Italy, collecting food scraps for composting. And the nice thing about that is it all grew up together. The compostable bag worked to collect food scraps, which supported agriculture, making compost, um, making uh, municipalities with their waste management. And it all grew together working in harmony to a point now where Milan is the global model for collecting food scraps, composting, anaerobic digestion in the whole world. Um, so people go from all around the world and uh, visit Milan to, to see how they do it. So um, as far as myself, um, I'm on several different industry boards in the bioplastics uh, region, um, I should say sector. And I'm also on the Canadian Compost Council. We work with US composting. I work as a Yukon master composter. So I go around and do my little library tours. And then on a national level, I serve on the, as the chair of the bioplastics division in the plastics industry and also on the board of directors and a lot of other stuff, blah, blah, blah. It goes on, but I keep myself busy. <laughs> <laughs> It definitely sounds like you keep yourself busy, Dan, and it also sounds like there are so many topics within the subject of sustainability that we could talk about. You mentioned plastic bags and being able to compost them. Earlier, we were talking about stickers on fruits and vegetables and making them compo compostable. But something that really stuck out to me that I think would be interesting to talk to for the listeners would be the plastic film over mulch. Could you share a little bit more about that and what it exactly is and does? Yes, there's a, um, I'm on the, there's been two USDA projects uh, to basically study plastics in agriculture and its effect on the soils. Uh, and of course, a big piece of that is microplastics because uh, anything that gets in the soil eventually washes out into the oceans and then gets into our food stream. Um, but about 20 years ago, Novomont came out with trying to come up with a compostable, I'll call it compostable biodegradable mulch film. And basically this is a material that works like regular plastic, covers the crops so you get moisture, uh, retain moisture, stops weeds, et cetera, all the things that uh, builds microbial communities in the soil, which are good for getting nutrition to the plants, all the things that plastics do, do except that um, it's not plastic and then can be tilled into the soil at the end. So it's really a different animal. So that's kind of been around, been very niche, um, but now it's kind of finding its place in agriculture with small farming. Uh, about 10 years ago, USDA, funded a study with University of Tennessee and Washington State and others. I was an advisory board member on that um, and basically looked at alternatives to using plastic film. So what's changed in those 10 years is basically there's a big disposal problem. What do you do with all this film when they, they basically pull it up? Uh, you pull it up about 67% of the film's weight when you pull it up is, is soil. 
that's adhered to it. Um, so it's hard to recycle. Really haven't found a way to recycle this film. It's contaminated with pesticides. Um, so it really can't be used for any food applications. Um, so a lot of it just gets burned and they've raised the cost of landfill with these. And uh, so farmers like what they do, they just bury it on their, on their farm, which is just basically creating a pollution problem. So here comes the compostable biodegradable films. Um, so the, the first study was five years ago and you can look on Washington State University SCRI project. They have a good website, also University of Tennessee, the research. Um, so that first project was done and then the USDA is funding a second five-year project, basically with the strawberry industry in California, yeah, which is nice because this project was initiated by farming, by uh, the strawberry industry, not, not academia, not industry. Um, and trying to find a more sustainable way to have multi-year crops um, and not have all this plastic residue to deal with. So it's a different animal. It's not plastic. It works like plastic, but it's different. So it's had its own idiosyncrasies. I like to say, you know, it's like a, a, a goat and a cow. They both kind of look the same. They kind of both do about the same thing, but they're really different animals. So you have to look at them differently. Um, so in this study, it's Washington State, the University of Nebraska, um, UConn is in there, University of Tennessee. Um, but it's a big five-year project. So really hoping we can dig a little deeper, literally, into what to do with all this plastic that's used in, um, or I should say, you know, traditional plastic that's being used in agriculture. And we're, we're kind of the first year into it. So I'm really enjoying that work, even though in North America, it's a small portion of, of my business. Um, I think it's very interesting and really impactful because we got to take care of our soils. Um, we have to make sure that uh, um, we're doing things in a sustainable way so we can keep our food healthy and keep ourselves healthy and happy as well. And, and Jennifer, uh, I must tell you and your listeners, as far as I'm concerned, I've done this for a long time. So any question you ask, the one thing that's guaranteed is there's never a short answer. So just reward. <laughs> <laughs> that is okay. The more details, the better, because then we get to learn more about this topic. So that is what is important to us, I think. Okay. And <laughs> I do have another question on this topic. Yeah. Um, you have mentioned that it's a five-year project, uh, only about in the first year going on right now. Yeah. But then it's also been around for about 10 years or so, I think is what you mentioned. So if listeners are wanting to find a way to get their hands on this bioplastic, do you know how they could do that so they can try it out on their farm? or yeah. what the cost effect would be for them rather than using the typical plastic film as well. Yeah, this is really, these are two good points. Um, basically for information, I would go to Washington State University. Um, they call them BDMs, which are biodegradable mulch films. Um, and there's a whole section there. They have videos. This is part of the USDA project. And, and you know, this is our tax dollars funding these projects. So we all should be interested in, in what the results are. So you can do that. And then um, there's several manufacturers of these products of the rolls. Um, uh, one that I like is uh, 
distribution in Canada called Dubois Aggravation. And their, their brand is Bio360. And that's just a brand that if you put Bio360, it'll pop up. The most important thing with these mulch films is you want to get the ones that are certified to international um, certifications. And the one you want to look for is, um, well, the first you have a BPI certification and then EN17033, which is a European certification for biodegradability in soil. Because what you don't want to get is so the plastic mulch films that just break into little bits and they're going to appear cheaper. This gets into our cost, but but they're they're traditional plastic. And actually, when they break into little bits, they're more inclined to make microplastics because the little bits don't go away. So you want to do a little research and make sure you get the soil biodegradable um, certified material, which is also you can look for TUV soil if you find that. Um, but uh, I know Bio360 is the brand that's pretty popular and easy to get from this, these fellows in Canada. Um, and then as far as the cost goes, it's probably about two times polyethylene, two times, three times. However, um, the cost of not pulling it up and disposing of it kind of washes that out. So um, it's the, the overall cost use right now is kind of interesting. It's about the same. So um, the use cost, we call it the use cost is about the same because you just till it under. And when you till it under, it's all basically broken up into little bits and pieces. Uh, and then within, I think by stand, by international standards, it's got to be within two years, it's got to be gone, the little bits. But most of it's gone. Um, what I would say, though, like I said, it's a different animal. So it's going to look different. It's going to look like when you put it down, you've got to put it down loosely and then it stretches and it, it, it adheres to the soil, but then it's going to start, you know, weathering. Um, it's going to start breaking down a little bit. So it's not going to be like plastic. It's going to look different. So it's a different animal. And I would say, if you want to try this on your farm or on a row, get, get one roll and try one roll, read all about it, learn how to put it down. Um, and then the next year, if you think it makes sense, then do one row, do one row and try that. And then if it works for you, it makes sense then, and learn, then do maybe, you know, a section or an acre. When people buy this material and they think it's plastic, they put it down 400 acres and all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's not acting like plastic. And then they think it's a fail. And, um, and it really does more harm than good. So I would say slow, be a, be a fan, learn about it, and then be a pro. And I think that's a good approach in uh, that way to, um, you know, you learn too, and you become the expert, which is, is, is always the best. Absolutely, Dan. And I think that was a lot of great information because hopefully listeners can give it a shot now if they are in the right production field. But on this subject, is there any other information that we haven't touched on that you think is important for listeners to know? Well, there's also, if you're really interested in the topic, I think it was last December, but the United Nations put out FAO, um, a booklet called um, Assessment Plastics in Agriculture. And you can get that online, which I think is interesting. Uh, you can look it up and it's got a whole lot of detail in it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dan. We really appreciate it. You shared a lot of great information today. Well, thank you very much. There's plenty on this topic. Um, it's, it's all interesting to me. 
I'm happy to talk about it. I hope it's interesting to some other folks as well, because really if we're gonna change the way plastics interact in our relationship with plastics in the environment, we certainly have to do things differently than we've done in the past. And happy to share whenever possible. Thank you very much. Well, listeners, if you are interested in anything that Dan had to say, let me know and we will be sure to bring him back on because he has plenty more topics. It was a great conversation with him and I was very excited to learn about all of these new opportunities in agriculture sustainability. Let me know if you have any ideas for interviews that you would like to see featured on the podcast. And in the meantime, we're going to let you go.